You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 189 of the Make It British podcast. Back in June 2020, UK manufacturing hit the headlines as Labour Behind the Label, a workers' rights organisation, wrote a report about the unethical working practices of factories in Leicester manufacturing for Boohoo. Dominic Muller, Policy Director for the organisation Labour Behind the Label, joined me to talk about what needed to be done to ensure workers in Leicester are treated fairly and paid a living wage. Enjoy this interview from the archive. Labour Behind the Label, a workers' rights organisation, produced a damning report about online fast fashion retailer Boohoo, claiming that workers in factories in Leicester producing for the Boohoo label, were forced to work during lockdown when they had COVID-19 symptoms. Now, the report said that Boohoo produces dresses in the UK at these factories in Leicester for as little as £4 an hour. Yet the living wage in the UK is £9 an hour. So how can they make their garments so cheaply? And that is the question that has been raised by so many people in the fashion industry in the past. We've talked about it on this podcast before. Everyone wants to see retailers like Boohoo being more transparent about their sourcing practices and asking Boohoo in particular how they can make their clothes so cheaply. Because unlike other fashion retailers like ASOS, Boohoo refuses to disclose which factories they're using to produce their clothes. And it also then brings into question claims that the company makes about how they make their clothes in an ethical way because why aren't they telling everyone which factories are making their clothes so it's really sad to hear that workers are being exploited in UK manufacturing especially at this time there are some fantastic factories in Leicester and as the labor behind the label report points out there's two there's two camps in Leicester you've got those factories that choose to work with Boohoo and those that choose not to. And often the reason the factories that are producing for Boohoo, no one else wants to work with them is because they don't take all the audits that the other brands and retailers expect them to have. And those audits that prove that they're manufacturing in an ethical way. So I thought it was worth getting Dominique Muller, who is the policy director at Labour Behind the Label, onto the show today to talk to us about the report that they produced. I mean, it's particularly sickening when you hear as well, not only are these people in this report that, that Dominique has interviewed being forced to go to work when they're ill with COVID-19 or suspected COVID-19 and that they're paid so little that they can barely afford to feed themselves. And then in the same time, the directors from Boohoo are just about to pocket £50 million each profit when they're not even paying their workers properly. So I'll leave it to Dominique to explain more. Here you go. So thanks so much for joining me today, Dominique. I can imagine how busy you've been this week with your report coming out about Boohoo and Leicester factories. 
It's my pleasure to join you. <laughs> so and um, before we get on to, to that report, do you want to tell everyone about Labour Behind the Label in case they haven't heard about it and exactly what your organisation does? Yes, so we are, we've been going for about, I think, almost 20 years. And we're the only uh, organisation in the UK that works specifically on garment worker. Um, we uh, are part of the wider Clean Clothes Campaign Network, which is around 250 partners worldwide and about 30 different uh, national coalitions. So we work uh, at a global level with Clean Clothes Campaign. And we also work, obviously, in the UK, looking at how UK businesses operate overseas um, and how they operate in the UK. So what we do primarily is to support workers uh, wherever they are in um, improving their working conditions, finding uh, them a platform for their voice. And, and also very importantly is to, to make sure that they can improve their right to freedom of association so they can really sort of organize themselves. So we, we don't do sort of charity and development work. We really are a, a solidarity organization. Brilliant. So how much this report that's that's come out that you've done recently which is fantastic i have to say it needed saying and it's brilliant that you've produced you. this now how much of a focus do you now have on the uk is that going to be a, a big thing for your organization do you think going forward as more people start to turn towards local manufacturing i i think so i mean i, I must admit we've been working on on uk issues for for quite a long time but you probably know you know it's really difficult to get information um yeah. especially in places like Leicester yeah um and increasingly we were just hearing some terrible reports coming out during the you know the last couple of months so we, we really had to do a report sort of um immediately but we have been planning reports we have been focusing on boohoo uh, and the UK garment industries. So we have been focusing on the UK industry and we've we've done some outreach to, to government. We participated in the last year's environmental audit mm. uh, committee and various other uh, projects. So it's, it's never gone away. Um, it's just really right now, I think, um, as the situation has become so precarious for these workers, um, we're right now focusing on the yeah. UK. I mean, Leicester, I mean, we've covered it before on this podcast. We have also have um, our trade show. There are some fantastic garment manufacturers in Leicester. But at the same time, there is also some that break the rules and ruin it for everyone else. And the industry knows it goes on. Um, your report, you had some fantastic information that you had re you had received from people that were working at these factories for Bo from Boohoo. Do you want to tell people firstly how you how you achieve that getting that sort of information? Because I know a lot of in Leicester don't want to want to talk. How did you come about getting this information and and putting this report together? Well, I mean, you're right. A lot of people in Leicester don't want to talk, and I think. Mm. You know, especially now they've become even more fearful because, you know, really their jobs are on the line. Um, 
So the report has been a long time coming in terms of us reaching out to various sources. Um, I don't want to give anything away about about the information about the workers involved. Um, mm-hmm, that's fair. Try to to make sure that all the reports were anonymised. Um, but obviously, you know, these worker complaints, the workers have got nothing to gain and everything to lose from making mm. the claim. So, you know, we really stand by what what evidence we found uh, and the reports that we've heard. Yeah, I mean, this report is, you know, it's pretty damning stuff. It particularly points out um, boohoo here. Do you do you want to explain to people for those maybe those that don't know um, why the finger is particularly pointed at? boohoo in this report i think i mean boohoo on several level the, the levels the fingers pointed i mean you know on the one hand they are such a massive player in leicester um mm. they are the biggest buyer you know the boohoo group um the boohoo group of factories um and as you you probably know know this yourself, but many brands have actually left Leicester, you know, as a result of all these exposes yeah. over the years, uh, because they don't want to take the risk of that, you know, losing reputational um, uh, respect um, through the exposes. And also, they they know how difficult it is to actually monitor the situation. So Boohoo's become very much a sort of key player with almost a sort of stranglehold uh, on many of the garment suppliers and their subcontractors. Obviously, our report, you know, it focuses on Boohoo, but we're not saying that every single instance was in a Boohoo supplier. Um, But one of the key things about Boohoo is that their model of fast fashion uh, and their pricing and their purchasing practices um, really have been driving I think driving standards down and then thirdly what we see with Boohoo and and a couple of other major e-retailers that their supply chain isn't transparent so a lot of other high street brands they've they've got supplier lists so you can go and you know check yeah Um, and it's all you know it's they might not publish all their suppliers but you can certainly find out whereas with Boohoo it's so opaque um that it's difficult to you know to get real information and to judge what boohoo claim that they're doing so in the report um you know we've got demands towards boohoo but also um very strong demands to the local governments and central authorities because i think you know, they've really failed uh, the people of Leicester. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, this, I've been in meetings with various stakeholders involved in this over the last few years. The council know it goes on. I mean, you've mentioned in your report that there's over a thousand units in Leicester. I mean, I that's that's, you know, a huge part of the city. And a lot of them spring up and then they close down, they reopen as a new name, they're in really dilapidated old buildings. Um, how how can they, I mean, what would you advise that the council should do straight away to stop these new companies just springing up and breaking the law? I mean, you know, straight away, you know, as we're sort of right now in the middle of a pandemic, I think the real focus has got to be on them. Um, 
investigating all the factories, uh, suspending production, um, but at the same time making sure that those workers are getting paid. Yeah. Because the other thing we found out was that a lot of workers were told, you know, come into work, even if you're sick or, you know, you're not going to get paid, you're going to lose your job. Um, so that would be the first thing. And I think also the council really needs to set up some sort of urgent hotline for workers. Um, mm. Some sort of confidential avenue that workers can say, look, this is going on. Uh, this is the place. Because um, at the moment, a lot of workers, they are scared. They're, they're scared of losing their jobs and they're scared of recriminations. Um, so that's that's one of the real urgent things. But I think it's... You know, the council, local council, but also uh, other authorities. Um, so far, what they've done is tended to sort of have periodic raids, often around sort of immigration raids. And, and that, I think, has just been driving the situation downwards. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Secrecy. Yeah. Um, which, which isn't helping. So there really needs to be a sort of joined up approach. Because, mm. you know, you hear about, factories being told by buyers from boohoo or some of these retailers that are you know paying such small prices for to get clothes made in leicester that they'll say you know if you won't make that for me for one pound fifty don't worry i'll go to the place next door and the place next door will compete for the business and the price just get goes down and down and the buyers are driving this by demanding that the clothes are made for a cheaper and cheaper price every season Exactly. I mean, yeah, you've hit the nail right on the head. And I think, you know, it's the same thing that happens in garment production countries in, you know, Bangladesh and India and so on. Yeah. But, you know, we're seeing it replicated, you know, right in the middle of the UK, this sort of competition to get orders, mm. you know, as well as I do often, you know, overhead costs, effects, uh, you know, rent, things like that, fabric. So the only flexibility really is in wages. So it ends up, you know, the, the workers' wages are being squeezed um, because the suppliers, uh, you know, want the orders. And often because of the, you know, the, the way that the fast fashion model uh, has grown in terms of really short lead terms, small orders, it, it's quite precarious to be a supplier. Um, yeah. So they're often dependent, you know, on the, on the, the goodwill uh, with the big buyers so they will just say yes accept low wages and you know try and make it up and some of the time yeah it's the workers that are paid half the minimum wage mm. and it seems to have got worse I mean I had heard I mean over the last three months since we've been in lockdown I'd heard rumours that there was things going on in Leicester you know furloughed staff fur furloughed staff where factory workers were still getting them to work Lots of orders going through, increased orders going through mm. from places like Boohoo because everyone switched to shopping online, and of course Boohoo are you know an online business. So exactly, wanna, yeah. I mean, yeah. do you want to tell tell people some of the things that you did discover over the last three months that were going on that were particularly concerning? I, I mean, I think we, you know, of of immediate concern are the issues around workers being pressurized to go back to work even when they were uh, isolating or they were shielding vulnerable members of their families you know being told well if you don't come back to work that's it um, or well if you want to pick up your wages you have to come into work 
because we're not going to send them to you. Um, And then, you know, there was a couple of instances where there were cases of COVID in the factory and workers were told, don't tell anyone. So don't tell your colleagues that so-and-so is working here and he's positive. Um, which is, you know, it's it's frightening. It um, is. Plus also these factories, I mean, your typical garment factory anyway, the machines are not two metres apart. Exactly. It, exactly. It's very difficult to operate a sewing factory at full capacity at the moment. I mean, the, the good factories at the moment are probably offer, operating at 50% because they've got someone at every other machine. They've got hand sanitizer everywhere. Staff are wearing face masks. But your report implies that that wasn't what was happening at the Leicester factories that you were... Exactly. I mean, we've heard reports of, uh, of you know, many Leicester factories adhering to, to hmm. the social distancing guidelines. And, you know, a lot of businesses up and down the country have done a lot of work to make their workplaces yeah. safe and secure. But then, you know, in these examples that we found, it's, it's small little workshops at full capacity. So, as you say, you know, small rooms, lots of people, little ventilation. Um, they're all sitting there all day, often without masks. Um, you know, it's 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 such a dangerous situation to be in. So what can the good manufacturers of Leicester do? Because it's so disheartening. I had Mick Chima from Basic Premier on this podcast mm. a year ago now. And, you know, he, he always says it's very difficult operating as a good manufacturer in Leicester. There's always someone down the road who wants to offer to pay your staff cash in hand instead what and and he feels like he's been fighting a losing battle what what can the good guys do uh, i mean yeah. <laughs> i mean i think you know people like him they they already do and i think you know continuing to speak out about yeah. about the bad practices of other factories you know to make it clear that you know not it's not all of Leicester because obviously Leicester there's a lot of of skilled um garment workers there yeah. and and we in our report you know we we make very clear that it's not everyone and it's exactly you know and it's not just Leicester either but obviously Leicester has got the biggest concentration um of garment factories and I think you know one of the problems is that many brands have left Leicester so Maybe mm. some of the good suppliers feel a little bit um, unsupported. Um, but when reports come out like this, uh, you know, brands will be thinking, well, thank good God I'm not still in Leicester, um, which is an absolute shame. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a question of, you know, the more reputable brands, and let's face it, I mean, many brands are, that none of them are perfect, um, especially not from our labour rights point of view. Mm. But you know, many are better. They have higher standards, more commitment to um, supporting suppliers, paying better prices. Um, but I think, you know, until they they feel that they can come back and until the situation of all these illegal, illegally operating uh, small workshops are fixed, it is going to be tough uh, for the good guys in Leicester. Yeah, I mean, it's such a shame. Sorry, got... that's not a positive yeah, thing. No, but... I know. <laughs> It's such a shame because there are, I mean, I've been to some fantastic places in Leicester and I think you know, you need to look at and put the onus on the brands and the retailers themselves to make sure exactly. um, that that they're doing the right thing here. I mean, 
my background is as a buyer and I see um, and I hear from some of the manufacturers the way that buyers now negotiate on prices and it's all about price now it's very very Mm. price driven or it certainly has been recently you know how does labor behind the label do anything to educate brands and retailers about how to make sure that modern slavery is not happening within their supply chains well we do a lot of work all around pricing about for example isolating um labor costs So Mm -hmm. we've run several campaigns and we've just actually launched a new sort of website where you can check the commitments of various brands with the reality of uh, of what they are actually paying garment workers. So it's all about living wages because that's a big commitment. Um, But obviously some brands make big commitments, but, you know, they haven't got any uh, benchmarks they haven't separated out their labor costs they they haven't sort of linked up that with their pricing and that obviously as you say you know it's crucial you need to really pay higher prices otherwise you know as we've seen for the last couple of decades brands will make uh, wonderful codes of conducts uh, and say yes we ask all suppliers to adhere to these codes of conduct and then the, the supplier is is left trying to adhere to these lovely codes of conduct while actually being paid minimal um yeah and i often find out find it's because it's actually up to the junior buyer to negotiate the prices and they haven't because they they don't understand the costings and they haven't necessarily been to the factories and seen how the costings are done and they don't kind of almost don't equate oh well, i'm getting a dress made for 1 pound 50 but it takes 15 minutes to make well that how does that even cover minimum wage before you even talk about the overheads of the factory? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as you say, you know, it's it's often it's within the brand itself. So sometimes we 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 have a lot of contact with a lot of the, the CSR departments or the ethical teams. Um, yeah. And in some brands, they're very linked into the buying and the selling and the business decisions. But in other brands, um, they're not which means they're sort of operating on their own. Um, so so even within the brand, they might be saying one thing, but the, the buyers are doing something completely yeah. different. And I think for me, what has been a, a, a shock in the COVID crisis, well, I've had several shocks, actually, <laughs> but, but, but one of them has actually been in trying to talk to certain brands about the issues that are going on, like the cancellations of orders, um, because yeah. they have furloughed uh, the entire ethical department. So there's no one left to talk to. So from our point of view, you know, in a crisis that is affecting millions of garment workers, the worst thing you can do as a brand is to to get rid of your, your CSR, CSR team. Yeah. So it, but it sort of, it shows you how some brands think, you know, CSR is an added bonus. You know, it's something pretty to make us mm. seem ethically responsible. But when push comes to shove, you know, it's not important. So that has been personally quite shocking. So dare I ask, are there any brands or retailers that you think uh, are doing it well? It's funny. I mean, we're asked this question a lot. Um, mm. And I, I think it, it, it depends on what you're looking at. So, you know, in some cases, when you're looking at, commitment to living wage or 
you know, whether a brand has got a, a, a time bound plan for living wage. Yeah. Some brands might do better. But in terms of, for example, uh, resolving um, allegations of abuse. So one of the things that we work a lot on is urgent appeals where we get uh, information from our partners about factory specific issues. Uh, and some brands are, you know, much more responsive um, than others. And then, you know, there's uh, some brands, for example, are much more engaged with things like the Bangladesh Accord on factory yeah. safety and others aren't. So, you know, to say overall which ones are doing better, is it's quite tricky. But obviously, you know, some of the key, key brands that are more well-established um, it's funny. I, I hardly ever say <laughs> which brands are doing well because yeah, it okay, might come back to bite. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There are some good, you know, there are some good initiatives. And I think, you know, some of the members of, of ETI and, and just if we take the COVID response in terms of cancellation of orders. So, yeah. you know, at the beginning of the crisis, one of the knee jerk reactions of many brands was to cancel billions of orders. I mean, yeah. billions um and and some brands have done that to a lesser degree and some are now actually working you know to try and work out well okay that was a knee-jerk reaction what orders can we reinstate um so for that you know i would i would say that that brands like next or mns um they are trying harder even even asos for example mm. um but, you know, Arcadia and Edinburgh Woolen Mill stand out as ones that, well, not only do they not seem to have an ethical team at the <laughs> moment, but but they, they haven't been responsive at all. And they have simply cancelled orders, which mm. has left a lot of suppliers in the lurch and hundreds of thousands of workers without money. Yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? So as a as a consumer... What can consumers do to make sure? Because I'm sure a lot of people that shop in Boohoo, apart from my my daughter's, know she's not allowed to shop in Boohoo. She's 15. It's like, <laughs> you're not allowed near that place. Oh, my um, daughter's 15 as well. And I, <laughs> I won't let her go to Boohoo either. <laughs> but your average consumer who just, you know, sees all the celebs wearing these clothes and they see it on social media, you know, how can how can the message get across to them about how to spend their money wisely to make sure that they're not you know funding modern day slavery in the purchases that they're making i think sometimes it's a slow process i think um i think some of it is awareness raising so we really need to be reaching out to that to that gener generation that sort of demographic mm. um and I think one of the biggest things that we say um, is to ask before you buy, to think, you know, do you need that for a start? And then uh, to ask in the shops, where was this made? Um, do you know if the workers were made a living, were paid a living wage? And those sorts of things, they trickle down to the shop assistants who usually don't know, but are of the same age often as the consumer. Mm. They then ask their manager, their manager will then go back to head office um and and we've seen it just in terms of of staff having better training and being able to answer those questions um but also i think before covid there was a shift towards more responsible uh buying 
obviously not by everyone. So one of the things that we hope um, comes out of it is that that doesn't get lost because there was a lot of, you know, a lot of clothes swapping and upcycling and, uh, you know, clothes renting and all that stuff. Um, Yeah. So it would be awful if that was all all lost. And I think also from from a sort of uh, um, from the government side, I just hope that, you know, in the effort to, to get the economy restarted, because, you know, we all need jobs, we do need a, a good economy, but we don't sort of make, um, make the economy work um, while forgetting the, the climate change issues, the environment and all the sort of movement towards sustainability. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned earlier about um, brands and retailers that kind of make it more transparent about which factories they use. Do you think that that should almost be made a legal requirement? Absolutely. Because I think particularly in the fashion industry, um, brands hold their factory portfolio very close to their chest, often because they don't want their competitors to jump into a fantastic factory that they found and it's almost like they're little you know little secrets yeah. to which manufacturers they use but it strikes me that the more transparent these brands were the less likely this would be to happen yeah no exactly and I I, I think we've heard that argument about you know confidentiality and business interests being uh, used less and less because obviously as more and more brands are making their their supplier list public uh, it becomes a bit of a redundant uh, excuse, and we certainly think that it should be it should be mandatory. I mean, you know, if you go into a supermarket and you buy uh, sausages or something, you yeah. can look at the label, mm. you know where it came from. It might even say which farm or something. Um, but you know, when you buy a T-shirt, it, it might say made in India, but you've got no idea. No. Um, and and it and it makes it really difficult. It makes it difficult for the workers because often they they some of them don't know which brand they're making for. You know, if they're not in the label sewing department, uh, trade unions can't monitor. Watchdogs can't monitor. Governments don't know. And it, it's a pretty basic thing. And I think yeah. the majority of big brands now um, do accept that and do make you know tier one and and some often tier two suppliers public and and also it think uh, sorry no no <laughs> also i think it, it does help the brands because although you know they want to um to, to to keep good relationships with with good suppliers it you know some brands can't afford to to take a whole uh factory output so they can see which other brands that they respect that they know have got good standards and think well you know that seems like a good factory um yeah exactly. so it, it means that they can raise the standard and and support suppliers better you mentioned the government back yes. then <laughs> so big intake of breath um there was that interim report they did last year that yes. um mary craig headed up about sustainability in the fashion industry and i'm sure the labor behind the label putting evidence towards that, as did many other people in the industry, calling for the government to do something about this. And, of course, the whole thing just got passed aside, didn't it? And nothing... It did. Nothing, you know, their response was, yeah, thanks, but but, but stay the same. 
where can we go next in order to try and sort of reintroduce um where you know how can we make some action happen in terms of getting the government to start listening more about what's going on in the fashion industry and what they could do better um Sorry, Your dog's, dog's got plenty to yeah. say on that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't blame him. He doesn't like Burroughs. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think you know some of the demands in our in our report uh, from last week. Um, oh, sorry. Some of the demands in in our report from this week. Um, they they clearly outline the long-standing need for for legislation for mandatory. Mm due diligence um but the government has just taken such a back seat on this and sort yeah. of hands-off approach saying well you know business can regulate itself and <sighs> if there's a problem you know it's, it's a few bad apples um and and that isn't the way and i think to be honest increasingly i mean brands talk about wanting a level playing field and and before i think you spoke to most brands and they wouldn't want any legislation but now I think it's got to a point when actually they would welcome uh, some legislation mm. um, to actually to make this sort of competition between really low prices uh, and poor standards uh, much more equal. So I think, you know, perhaps working with those brands that are keen to push that, um, making sure that you know, with this report and whatever goes on in Leicester, because I, you know, I hear right at the moment there's a lot of activity in in Leicester by enforcement agencies and obviously it's, it's too little too late but yeah to make sure that they understand you know this is their responsibility it's not going to go away uh without a really joined up coherent response so to seize this opportunity um to make sure that something happens and you know as you say MPs have, have raised this the environment the parliamentary environmental audit committee raised this questions have been raised in the house of parliament academic research it's, the evidence is all there i think it's just a push that we need mm. um but i you know i do worry that the government is you know is is going to be unwilling to legislate after covid um but i'm hopeful yeah <laughs> that we can I mean still get change I mean, you mentioned joined up, you know, responsibility. I find that that actually means that they, they all collectively have no responsibility because yes. they all think that a different <laughs> department is going to work on it. Yeah, so they're all like, well, that's not my department, that's your department. So it gets pushed around and no one has any responsibility. Yes. And I can see it happening with the sourcing of PPE as well because, oh, oh yes. it's the, the onus is on the manufacturer to make sure that they're doing things correctly. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, there has to be some real leadership uh, to make sure that that doesn't sort of happen. But I, I guess, you know, in terms of like Leicester, when I say joined up, I, I, I mean, you know, we don't want more immigration raids um, just uh, as an answer. You know, immigration raids, they're not the answer. They push it down underground. They yeah. There isn't the follow up and the support for those workers, you know, who might actually be victims of modern slavery. Um, mm -hmm. So it has to be looked at from an issue of not just the criminal behaviour, but also the, the you know, labour practices, labour laws, 
the involvement of, of trade unions, of other stakeholders. Um, but obviously with, with strong leadership, so it isn't just passed from authority to authority. And I also, because I have been sort of speaking to the government about the PPE manufacturing, what amazes me, well, I don't know why it does amaze me, is how little they understand the textile industry and the way yeah. it all works and what factories we have here. And actually that, you know, you've mentioned in your report there's a thousand plus places in Leicester, but yet the Office of National Statistics says the figure is actually considerably lower for yes. the amount of, <laughs> of sewing factories in Leicester. So no one knows the true amount. And and so they haven't really have no clue about what the industry looks like. Again, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you know it's just this sort of lack of almost. It's not just a lack of attention to detail. It's like lack of responsibility, and and it is partly what you've said before, like sort of passing the buck onto someone else. But also, obviously, we've seen a lot of the enforcement agencies lose a lot of resources and money. Mm. So in terms of, uh, I mean, I saw a statistic the other month about you can expect a, uh, an investigation by HMRC every 30 years or 300 years. I, I can't remember the actual figure, but it, it was it was basically saying, you know, if you are a dodgy a business owner you know don't worry your chances um, of getting caught out you're going to be fine exactly so some people are you know are willing to take that chance um but it is incredible i mean with the ppe and stuff because you know obviously we've got a lot of capacity in the uk um mm. but it's all just been handled ugh. Someone well, actually said to me. <laughs> someone actually said to me recently, PPE has become the new fast fashion. In that, I have heard <laughs> of people going around Leicester seeing if someone will make a gown for one pound twenty-five, and it's well. I know it takes. <laughs> other manufacturers have told me it takes twelve minutes to make a gown. Now, if you do the simple maths, that's not living wage. Yeah. Um, so, no, and and that is just contributing to the problem. It's just such a short-sighted approach. Hmm. So what is next for Labour behind the label um, in terms of, of you know, this following up with Boohoo? I, I see that they've come back and kind of not only said no comment, but actually sort of dissed the whole report. <laughs> they have, There's but then I'm not surprised. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I did, I have looked at their statements and I've, um, I'm actually in the process of writing a, a a reply with questions, follow-up questions mm. to Boohoo tonight. Um, but I have written to the HSE. I'm in writing to Alex Sharma about the uh, investigations that are going on and to the, the City Council. Um, I know there's a lot of activity at the moment, but, you know, I, we will be trying to keep our focus on the, the longer-term demands and also making sure that, you know, whatever factories are closed down, uh, you know, if they're unsafe, we want them closed down. We don't want workers uh, operating in, in unsafe conditions, but we want to make sure that those workers are given their wages, um, their proper benefits, um, and not just left. Because, you know, a lot of the workers are on, you know, they're not on the books, uh, cash only. Um, so we will be making sure that that, that type of thing is also um you know, enforced. 
How many people work for Labour behind the label? I could imagine you're quite a small team with quite a big job to do. We are. We we punch. I hope we punch well above our yeah. weight. But there's there's three of us. We all three oh, of gosh. us work part time. Yeah. So I do policy. My colleague Meg does. So I do policy and urgent appeals and international. And Meg does comms, media, uh, activists. And then Caroline does uh, website funding, money, admin, everything else. So on the matter of funding and money, how can people support you? So if, it, if people are listening to this and they want to get behind what you're doing, what's the well, best way of doing that? We've got various options. What what we want is obviously for people to take action. So at the moment, we've got a petition on Boohoo. Uh, it's all about transparency. So it's got a very simple ask. Our website is labour behind the label, all one word, dot org. Um, and then I think it's just, uh, I should know this off by heart, but I don't, don't worry, I'll find the link. Um, and I'll put so it in they, the show notes for the podcast, brilliant. along with your, your, your survey as well for Boohoo yes. and a copy of the report. And you said earlier as well about your new website that you set up with yes. details about. Yes, so that is wage. called, that is called the fashionchecker.org. And that right. is, yes, it's got a survey. We we surveyed with our colleagues in Clean Clothes Campaign over 108 brands um, about their living wage commitment. So you can click on, you can go to the website and you can click on your favourite brand and just see what they've said and you can make up your mind if you think it's good enough. Excellent. Um, yeah, and we've that's also, a good direction. Yeah, that's a good exactly. move forward with transparency, isn't it? Exactly. So over the next um, three years, we are doing field research in lots of different countries to populate all the factories, uh, the factory information. So we're we're working with um, different organisations in production countries and eventually, I hope, in the UK um, to get workers to input their pay slips, what they're being paid, if they get paid for overtime all those sorts of details. So then you can click on a brand, click on you know a factory in Cambodia, for example, and see what's actually happening. Brilliant. We've also got, we do have a donate feature on our website. We've also got a mailing list. And there is for those people who, you know, who really want to support the, the garment workers overseas who are in serious trouble, there's also a, um, a fund that you can... If you go to the cleanclothes.org website, there is a fund where money is being um, donated to the affected garment workers. Brilliant. Dominique, you're an absolute star. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. On the podcast and explaining to everyone. Amazing. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.